Psalm 139, if you'll uh, turn in your Bible, I have some PowerPoint slides. You might read those there, Psalm 139. And uh, as we look at that passage, I want us to think for a few minutes uh, about God, our Heavenly Father. And there's a, couple, uh, there's a little phrase there that I'll focus on. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Now as we think about that, God, the omniscient one, there is not a thing that He does not know. Now I used to think that would be some of those ladies. If you've ever grown up in a small hometown, it seemed like everybody knew everything. And if they didn't, they'd make it up, okay? Well, God doesn't have to make it up. The the psalmist reminds us that God is omniscient. That means He knows everything, and we'll see that in just a moment. But as we look at this together this morning, we recognize God as Father. And as we do, we'll recognize some of the things about God that might not always be things that we would celebrate, but we also need to be reminded in spite of ourselves. So as we read together, he said, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Notice there's a couple of phrases there. Verse 2 says, Thou knowest. Verse number 4, or verse number 3 said, Thou compasseth. And then again in verse 4, the psalmist reminds again the Lord that thou knowest it all together. You know, as we begin to think about uh, what God knows, okay, sometimes we as believers, we celebrate more on how we disagree than what we agree upon. I said to the first group this morning as I was preaching that this week uh, the largest Protestant denomination on the face of the world had met in Nashville. And if you read any newspaper articles or any blog post, uh, what you got was you got a synopsis or a small version of what we as Baptists do not uh, agree on, okay? Now, friend, I'm not here today to talk about that, but I'm here today to talk about what should make us who we are is what we agree on. And you know, as I begin to think about this with Father's Day here, with, with uh, things that go on around us as well as things that go on uh, within us, I, I was focusing, this passage helps me to see God in a way as our Heavenly Father, and what we can do is see some things about Him. Now, as I begin to think uh, through the week, I see and I remind you that God is infinite. Unlike us, God has no limits or boundaries. He is not confined to the dimension of space. His love, holiness, mercy, and all of His other qualities are unlimited in their scope uh, and their expression. So God... uh, uh, is infinite. He cannot be contained. He, he cannot be put in a box, although sometimes uh, we probably have been desirous to try to do that. 
God also is self-existent. Unlike everything else in the entire universe, He had no beginning because He is the Creator. He is the only one who exists outside of the created order. Now, as you go around today, as you leave the building today and you see the beauty of creation, remind yourself that it is as it is because God spoke it into being. There was no committee meeting. There was no, there was no uh, way that we discussed it to have our input in it. God Himself uh, did, and He's self-existent. He can operate without us, and as a result of that, He, the eternal Heavenly Father, we know Him as self-existent. God is also eternal, not bound by the dimension of time. He created time as a temporary context for His creation. With God, everything that has ever happened or ever will happen has already occurred within His awareness. God encompasses all of eternity. We cannot find God's beginning. Uh, we cannot define His beginning either. And uh, we know that God is eternal. God, uh, fourthly, is self-sufficient. Simply meaning, all creation relies on God for existence. Or might I insert, con continuous existence. But He has no need for anything. He does not need our help. He only offers us the privilege of being involved with Him in the fulfillment of His purposes. Now don't get too excited there when I tell you God does not need your help. God does not, but He chooses to involve us in His wonderful work that He has continued through the life of Jesus Christ. As we look at this today, let's think about our Heavenly Father. Now, again, if you know Him today as Father, I'm not saying if you know all about Him, okay? Matter of fact, I continue to learn weekly about Him. You say, well, Pastor, all that book, 66 books, uh, it seems like we could know everything there is to know. Well, my friend, don't let me pop your bubble too loud. You'll continue to learn of Him. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. You remember He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Our Heavenly Father loves us today with a love that cannot be visibly seen through any other way or any other person except He Himself. I want to share with you today three things that God does not know. Now I know you say, well that's contradictory to what you've already said. You've already said God knows everything. Well, there are three things I know that He does not know. Now it has to do not with you or I, but it has to do with things that He loves. First of all, there is not a sin that he does not hate. Uh, let me remind you about sin. I think it's Romans chapter, one, uh, Romans chapter 3, about verse 19. It said, if it had not been uh, for the law, we would not have known sin. 
Debbie and I traveled. Uh, matter of fact, Friday, got back in late last night, had a wedding. Matter of fact, I had two weddings yesterday uh, out of town. You say, how did you have two? I'm glad you asked. Well, we had one at four thir- about 4 o'clock that was supposed to be at 5.30. The young lady, she had chosen this uh, wedding site because of the outside scenic view. And that was just that one little glimpse when it wasn't raining. And she intended, she had to have her pictures made there. So we did an outdoor wedding with just her and the bridal party and, and her husband. And we did it at 5.30 again for everybody that wanted to choose to be there. But anyway, on my way back home, here's where I'm going with that. Uh, I kept uh, traveling and it was raining cats and dogs. You've got to be from the south to know what raining cats and dogs is, okay? But it was raining cats and dogs. And for this time in my life, I kept noticing these little signs on the side of the road. And lo and behold, it still said 70 miles per hour. And I kept uh, taking my foot off the pedal because when it's raining cats and dogs, you just don't want to slide around on an interstate with a bunch of crazy people thinking they're going somewhere and they can't wait to get there. Well, it goes back. Their sin is simply like that uh, some way. And that is, we never would have known what sin is if God hadn't have said, Do not or thou shalt not. But because He did, we know what sin is. Not only do we know what sin is, but the Scripture tells us that we all have sin in Romans 3.23. We have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So those of you who are in the sound of our voice today, whether it is in the auditorium or whether it is listening by YouTube or whether it's going to be on television uh, Wednesday at uh, 11 o'clock, it doesn't really matter. The Scripture said that uh, we are all born into sin and the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, the Scripture says here in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, that there are six things that the Lord does hate, uh, and uh, seven are an abomination to Him. And these seven things are listed here. Now, I didn't write them. Uh, Matter of fact, I don't even have to agree on them because it's what God gives us, okay? It is not a a thorough list. It is not a complete list of sin. But notice the seven things that He gives us. First of all is a proud look. I'm going to check your uh, mind now and ask you to remember without saying it out loud. What always comes before a fall? Pride, does it not? You know, the Scripture says here that uh, a proud look or a a prideful fellow or a person who has become full of him or herself, uh, who is uh, there with that proud look, God doesn't say He hates that person, but He hates that sin. Now, if you're teeter-tottering on the edge today, and you have, uh, and you have uh, elevated yourself to a place higher than uh, you deserve, and, and the only person knows that you're there is yourself, It's a proud look. God hates that proud look. He said He doesn't approve of lying tongues. Boy, I tell you, you, if you listen to the press, if you read the papers, if you just uh, pay attention to what's going on, you realize that there are a lot of untruths surrounding us today. 
And I'm not going to say it's limited to politicians. Matter of fact, if we're not careful, you know, we get to thinking that we are larger than we should or we are going to advance ourselves further than we should. That proud look takes over and then that lying tongue will support that and then it moves to hands that shed innocent blood. Now, I'm not here uh, to try to tell you that you are that one. You know, that person who commits... uh, uh, who, who uses their hands uh, there in the abortion industry. They're taking lives, are they not? They haven't necessarily taken a gun and taken somebody's life. But you know, the Lord hates, people, uh, hates things. He hates the thought there of heads, hands shedding innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations. I tell you, some people just got too much time on their hands, haven't they? to sit around and try to imagine in their mind uh, how to accomplish evil things or, matter of factly, to just simply do evil things. Uh, and, and the Lord is not approving of that. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. Mischievousness. You say, well, I was mischievous and I, I never did it to hurt anyone. Well, I, I hate to admit it, I fell here too. But because there's something about that old human nature that we talked about in Romans 3.23, that we were born with that nature. And that's why there's so much emphasis scripturally about needing to be reborn. And that is because that carnal nature, that first nature, that sinful nature needs to be replaced with a nature that God gives us a false witness that speaketh lies. Could we go on and move to the last? He that soweth discord among the brethren. Maybe you're here today and you say, Hey, preacher, I know somebody who has done these things. Matter of fact, if you'll look up here, I've done some of those things. Am I proud of it? No. But I'll tell you what, when I ran across this list in my Bible reading many, many years ago, I'm talking about decades ago, I realized that these are things that the wise man said in Proverbs 6, uh, that it is uh, seven things that are an abomination to the Lord, and the Lord hates these things. Listen to me. You could have committed all seven of these things, but the Lord still loves you. You know why? Because the Scripture tells me nowhere that God hates the people that do these things. With that in mind, Isaiah chapter 1, I think it's verse 18 says, when Isaiah the prophet and the Lord there were uh, in agreement, uh, the Lord said, Come now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Singing hymns sometimes helps us Because when we sing those hymns and we see that truth that is uh, put to music, sometimes we retain that easier than we might just that verse that was taught us as a child. And then we remember that, you know what? That's exactly what them verses said, that God hates sin. Now, maybe your pet sin wasn't listed there. I don't even know what yours is, but I'm going to tell you what, God hates it. Don't hate you now, but he hates it, okay? Now, we as believers should agree on the fact that he does 
hate this sin. So there's not a sin that he doesn't hate. I'm sure if you took time and you begin to attempt to write down all the sin that you had ever committed, I'm, I'm beginning to think you'd need a lot more paper than you initially think you do. And you know what? God hated all of that sin, but He loves the sinner, of which we'll get to in a moment. The Scripture tells us that there's not a sin that God does not hate, but there is not a sinner that He does not love. Now we're reading 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 15. Paul said, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. And I was injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners... And he said, of whom I am chief. The closer that we get to the Lord Jesus, and maybe the, the longer we travel the journey, we are constantly reminded sometime, like Paul was in this writing, he always remembered that he was a sinner. Now he is not boasting about that, but he does give us uh, the reality of himself when he would say, Of sinners I am chief. You remember, he also would tell us of the apostles he is least. Now somewhere between the least of the apostles and the greatest of sinners, I am so glad to remind you that God met him on the road there to Tarsus. And the scripture tells us that he saved him. So there is a, not a sin that God does not hate. But He also reminds us there that there is not a sinner that He doesn't love. Can you imagine today the worst person? And, and you know, our, our minds can't comprehend that because we always try to, we always try to put some figure there or imagination there. However, I don't want to do that. I want to just give you these four things I've, I've thought through on the slide, okay? When we think about uh, sinners and God not loving sinners, this is a very, very short list uh, here just to remind you that there are needs in lives and God loves sinners. How many of you remember that He was accused one day? The Pharisees, which was the upper religious society of the day, uh, they accused him of going home with sinners. They even said they sat at the same table and he would do that with sinners. Now, be careful who you eat out with because somebody might make an accusation against you one day. And I'm not making that in a uh, negative way. I'm just telling you how people get what I used to call spiritually athletic. They want to jump to conclusions without knowing the realities. Now when Jesus was ministering, you remember the story in John 4, 
as they were making their way, uh, Jesus would send the guys into town to have lunch, and he would stay there at the well of Jacob's well is what it's called. And uh, Jesus, the omniscient one, knew that there was one lady who went to the well to draw water every day, and she went there at lunchtime. Amazingly, Jesus would tell those disciples, go into town. Jesus would spend time at the well. And when the lady arrived, he said, would you give me some water to drink? Oh, you know what? He sure knows how to start a spiritual conversation, doesn't he? And the reality is, she wanted to know why he would ask her for water. Why, don't you know I'm a woman first? Uh, and then he would begin to explain to her, Yeah, and I know what kind of woman you are, and I know where you're living, and, and all of that stuff. But you know, the beauty of this is, there would no one else associate with her outside, especially these religious folks. Why? Because she was a bad sinner. Have you ever called somebody a bad sinner? I don't know how many sins you have to commit or what kind of sins you have to commit. Now, yeah, she was a bad sinner, somebody said. She was living in adultery. She had had five, you know. And Hey, let's forget that. She was simply a sinner. Can I remind you that Jesus came to seek and to save sinners? I think we, the church, have lost, maybe not lost permanently, but I think we're struggling with our identity and forgetting that the church is an extension of the arm of our Lord Jesus, that we might do what He would do, and we might go out and seek sinners. Why? Because He still desires to save sinners. The woman at the well. Think about there was one who had a medical dilemma. She had a moral dilemma, but there was one there at the pool of Bethesda. It said he had a medical dilemma. He was brought to that pool every day. And he, he was in trouble because the first person who would get in the pool after it started bubbling, and that's my sort of South Georgia slang, but anyway, after the water would move, the, the uh, first person in you know, said they would be healed. And he, he just told Jesus when he asked him that day, he said, I don't have nobody to put me in. You know what Jesus did? He took the opportunity. And this man had a medical dilemma. But you know what? Sometimes I think we focus on the dilemmas and we say, well, this is a mortal dilemma, this is a medical dilemma. This can wait a little longer than this. Let's prioritize this. And before we know it, we have excused ourselves from seeing the importance of the moment. There was a man up a tree who had a monetary dilemma. Matter of fact, he had too much money. Not what, not, it really wasn't that he had too much. He had just got it the wrong way. He went into town that day. He just knew he had heard Jesus is coming through Jericho. So you know what he did? He said, hmm, there are more people here than I expected. I'm shorter than the rest of them. So he climbed up a tree. Matter of fact, he had no clue that the Master would speak to him that day. But you know what? Jesus looked up and he spoke directly to him. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must abide at thy house. Friend, read the rest of the story in Luke 18. 
And what you will find is, to me, is that you will not find Jesus bringing that sin up first. Zacchaeus is the one that brought it up. And he said, I have taken advantage of people. And he said, those that I've taken advantage of, I'll restore. But not penny for penny. He said, I'll restore it fourfold, if I remember correctly. Do you have a problem today? Is it a moral problem? Is it maybe a medical dilemma? Is it maybe a monetary dilemma? Now, you know, you ask anybody what's enough money, and they'll usually tell you, I don't know, I ain't quite got there yet. Money is not evil. Our attitude toward it can be. And as a result of that, Zacchaeus had forfeited a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because he had sold out to the Romans. And he would collect taxes, he would pay the Romans what the fee would be, but all above that he collected going over Zach's pocket. But you know what? Isn't it amazing when he met Jesus? Jesus makes a difference. There was a man on the cross who I call it had a momentary dilemma. You know, think about from daylight uh, maybe uh, to, uh, to what, 3 o'clock in the afternoon? There's three people hanging on three different crosses. The two on the outside, they agree and they say, Hey, if you're who you say you are, get us down from here. You know, finally the one enemy said, hey, let's leave him alone. He's done nothing amiss. He said, we deserve what we're getting. And he looked at Jesus and he said, hey, remember me when thou enterest thy kingdom. Oh, it was just a momentary thing, was it? Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. You know what, you could have lived a lifetime in sin, but at that very moment, when you surrender to Jesus, I promise you there's not a sinner that He doesn't love. Now I would say this, Satan doesn't want us to see that God loves people. Jesus died for all sinners. He paid the price. The wages of sin is death. And when He said it is finished at Calvary, you know what? It was finished. However, the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And to make that transaction complete, you must confess your sin to Him. And confess your faith likewise in Him. You remember? Jesus said, Don't be ashamed of me in this sinful, adulterous generation. He said, If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Hey, if Jesus has saved us from sin, we ought to get excited about it and let others know. So, quickly, there's not a sinner He doesn't love. There's not a sin He doesn't hate. But there's also not a sinner He will not save. Yes, I'm consciously realizing that when I say there's not a sinner He doesn't love, and I say there's not a sinner He will not save, 
those two topics sort of bleed over into one another. Jesus, I would call him, is the man of salvation. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He never said he came for any other reason. He didn't come to make your life easy. Now, that's contrary to some of the preaching of our day. I'm telling you, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And I one day said to him, I am lost, and confessed to him, and he saved. Jesus also gives the means of salvation. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we can be saved by His life. Oh, this is a great, great passage, is it not? Why? Because what we see there is He is not highlighting the sin, but He is talking about the sinner. And then thirdly, the method of salvation. I was reading this week, reminded again, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. If I, I can assure you, if I were drowning, I would begin to call out for help. If I were burning, I would begin to call out for help. Friend, when I was a sinner, I began to call out for help, and Jesus saved me. Peter was a boisterous man. Paul was a belligerent man. Bartimaeus was a blind man. But they all had something in common when they left life for eternity. They had a common friend, and he is Jesus. See, folks, there is not a sin that God doesn't hate. Now, again, we like to categorize them, you know. Well, you've got the hubcap stealers over here, and got the bank robbers over here. We sort, of try to, we sort of try to evaluate them. Let's just look at it as sin, okay? God hates sin. But also, there's not a sinner that He does not love. And last, He'll save all these sinners. Folks, you know what our great task is? Is that we, we might be friends of sinners that they might see Jesus in us and come to know Him. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, how I would just love to see today that we put our faith and absolute trust in Jesus. You know the passages in the Scripture that talks about Him being the author and finisher of our faith. Friend, don't beat yourself up when you leave today. You may say, hey, God couldn't love me. Yes, He can. And yes, He does. You know why? Because He came to seek and to save He that is lost. Father, remind me constantly that you hate sin and Lord never let me preach down on people 
but Lord, help me lift up Jesus, that they will see Jesus and turn to Him repenting of their sin. Lord, this is a wonderful day. And it would be a great day, Lord, for someone to turn to You and surrender to You, like we have said today. Draw people unto Yourself. It might be today that someone is looking for a church home. It might be they unite with this church here uh, by letter. Maybe they unite with us here by statement of faith, whatever it would be, as they turn to You today. In Jesus' name, Amen.